For as we've heard from Cody's reading from Luke 2 this evening, what we have heard is good news. Aren't you glad that the angel didn't appear to the shepherd and say, Hey boy, I got some good advice for you. No, unto you is born is the news. Like this news. On the Years of brutal war. Get that headline? It's over. Joy and thanksgiving marked the start of the armistice on the greatest day in our history. That was good news for Londoners back in 1918. And you look at two pictures, you got a, a bunch of people on, the, on your left-hand side with Union Jack flags just waving in each other's faces, crowded on the London sidewalks, and then about 20 dudes just riding along on a truck. You know, it doesn't look like it's the safest thing in the world, but you know, hey, they're celebrating. And it's a fascinating article to read because it says London gave itself up to joy, gave itself up. As a matter of fact, it continues and it says, Parliament adjourned, and together all members of the Parliament went to St. Margaret's Church, where, quote, they gave humble and reverend thanks for the great deliverance of the world, that great peril, peril which beset it, and to give thanks to the giver of all victories. End quote. Later on Downing Street, they all, the crowd outside the Prime Minister's house, where he opened up the window, and to his right was his wife, and to his left was his Secretary of State and his Secretary of Munitions, a young Winston Churchill, as he shouted to the crowd, you are well entitled to rejoice. Isn't that great? You are well entitled to rejoice. Now, that was November 12th, 1918. Seven months later in June, the Treaty of Versailles was agreed to. It took them seven months 
to really nail down the agreement between Germany and the Allies. But here's what I want you to know. In Luke 2, when the angel comes and says, Fear not, for behold, I bring unto you good news of a great joy, which will be for all the people. That's the greatest day in history. That is our Armistice Day. So we too can give ourselves up to joy tonight. And we too are well entitled to rejoice in Jesus Christ. So let's take a few minutes. We're going to zero in on verses 10 through 14. I invite you to look in the back of your bulletin if you're a guest or open up your Bibles with me. Because we're going to discover the ultimate good news. First, we're going to see the historicity of the good news. Notice in verse 1, Luke describes it. In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. Notice he locates the events in time and space. Right now in our world, even non-Christian ancient historians recognize that Augustus was Caesar at this time in the first century. And that Quirinius was also governor of Syria. And he took a census. That's not disputed at all. But deep down inside of you, don't you find yourself thinking that somehow this is more historical than this? Right? Think that. But I want to propose to you tonight that this is not more historical than this. Because not only did this truly happen, this has great implications for our everyday lives. You know, my everyday life isn't much affected anymore by Armistice Day. My dad, who was born literally just a few months after the Treaty of Versailles in October, talked about it as a little boy seeing the veterans' home in Savannah, Georgia, with American soldiers damaged from the mustard gas from the trenches. It was awful. So it affected my dad's generation. It affected, obviously, the young men of, of the early 20th century. But beyond that, not really, right? But the reality is that noted scholar Richard Baucom, in his seminal work, Jesus and the Eyewitnesses, says this is history. The eyewitnesses state that the sheer number of not only the named characters— such as Caesar Augustus and Quirinius, the named characters who knew Jesus and walked with Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Also the unnamed characters, the chief priests, scribes, guards, John's disciples, shepherds, not only grants credibility to this narrative, but claims that the reader can have greater uh, trust in its claims. Later on in Luke, Jesus says in Luke 24 on the road to Emmaus, look, guys, all the scriptures point back to me. It's all about Christ. And John says in John 20, I write these things to you that you may know you have eternal life. That's the historicity of the good news. Secondly, we see the need of the good news in the angel's announcement to the shepherds. The angel says, Fear not, behold, in other words, listen up, 
born unto you this day in the city of David is a savior. What's a savior? Savior's a rescuer. It's one that saves. And this savior is for all the people. Meaning all people need to be rescued. Why? Because our condition is described that we're naturally at war with God. We're actually described as treasonous rebels. We have attacked God. We really have in the hands of those who have crucified him. We're in the ones in the crowd that shouted crucified him. If we lived in the Old Testament times, we would have been part of the grumbling Israelites as well. You see, we until Christmas. When the angel said, I bring you good news of a great joy for everyone. Romans 5.10, we were enemies, we were reconciled to God. Colossians 1 says, and you who were once alienated and hostile, he has now reconciled in order to present you holy and blameless. You see the difference of the headlines between the daily and the scripture? In World War I, there were two warring parties. In Luke, there's only one warring party, us. And yet he didn't sit back and wait for us to come around. He came and won us back with his love. And he didn't send a warrior angel to squash us. Which he sent himself. This is good news. We were at war, and this child is bringing peace. As if Christmas is our armistice day, and Good Friday and Easter Resurrection Day is our spiritual treaty of Versailles. To the shepherds, the very first sermon, I bring you good news. That word is you on He preached to them, the war is over, and you are now at peace with God. Third, we have the c- content of the good news. The good news is, he is Christ the Lord. God is with us, fully human and fully God. He truly had a human mother, Mary, as we heard. On the other hand, he is a divine father, which means that God is with us in Jesus Christ. That's the doctrine of the incarnation. Incarnation means God in the flesh. And that's what we're celebrating tonight. And you might think, well, so what? What what does that really mean? Well, here's the content of what this means. Number one, it means that there's no middle way. You're either for him or against him. You see, if he simply came to be a great man or a great man of high consciousness or high God consciousness, you might listen to him and say to yourself, well, that's interesting. I'll give it some consideration. But when he claims to be God, it's either true or it's not. 
So you either make haste to go fall at his feet and center your whole life around him, or you run away in fear or anger. That's what you see in the Bible. You never see anyone listen to one of Jesus' teaching, and as they're leaving, shake his hand and say, Good sermon, Reverend. You give me some things to think about. No, they either fell down at his feet and worshipped him, or they ran away in fear or anger or wanted to kill him. We live in a society that most people who, na- who name the name of Christ clearly do not understand his claim of Emmanuel. Because there's no such thing as being moderately Christian. You either throw yourself at his feet and center your life on him, or you don't have anything to do with him completely. Any other response is completely inconsistent with what you say you believe. And most people are in the middle and don't take Emmanuel seriously. Secondly, this means that he's fully God, fully human. It means we have no fear of the future. God in Jesus Christ is not disconnected from the world that he created. He's omnipotent. He's in charge. Nothing can stand against him. There's not only abundant life in this present life as we live in Christ, there's abundant life after in our death, and there's not only that, there's abundant love after our death in Christ. We don't live in a world that's surrounded by the dark side of the force. St. George Lucas didn't get that one right. There's the dark side and the good side. No, this is reality, and Christ is showing it to us. If the Lord of love, Jesus Christ, is God, then one day heaven will come to earth. In the words of Samwise Gamgee, all that is bad will become untrue. And that means that even us, with all our flaws, are included in this plan, and therefore we have nothing to fear in the future. The third things which this content means is that if he's fully God and fully human, is that God understands our pain and suffering. He's not sitting up in heaven with his arms folded and saying, well, you made your bed, you can sit in it. No. We can go to him, for he knows what it's like to be rejected, to go hungry, to be in pain, to deal with that piece of work co-worker you have in your office or that piece of work classmate in your class. He knows what it's like to be the victim of injustice. So whatever you're going through at the present time, he knows what it's like. He understands. And you can draw near to him. And fourth, when we understand he's human, that we can be saved truly. If Jesus Christ was completely holy and not loving, why in the world would he empty himself to come down and be laid in a cow-drooled manger? Would you put your newborn baby in a feeding trough? If he is holy and just God, but not a loving God, he would never become human for us. But if he's only a loving God, as many people believe, and accepts everybody. There's no need for him to come as our Savior. He just accepts everybody. 
but only a holy God who says sin must be punished. That which is everything that is wrong in the world must be righted. And I'm going to take care of this and I'm going to take it away. So that I can still love and care for my people. Only a God that is holy and loving would have become human. And that's why he did it. Only a holy God satisfied justice. And a loving God who can open his arms to receive us. That's the content of the good news, my friends. So what's our response? Notice, the angel suddenly appeared with a multitude of angels, and what did they begin to do? Sing. And we already sang their words. I don't know if it was a French tune or not, but we sang their words. Gloria in excelsis Deo. Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased, which is a better translation. Also, the shepherds, how did they respond? Notice verse 16, and they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. Verse 20, and the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Now, most of us don't have angels appear to us. For most of us, God uses our ears to draw us to himself as we hear the good news. So you being here tonight is no mere coincidence. Maybe your life lately has been a series of coincidences leading to this weekend culminating in attending this service tonight. Knowing that there's, you know deep down inside of you there's something more than just this shallow, suburban, materialistic, individualistic life that we exist in. Or maybe it's, you've been through some real difficulties over this past year and you found yourself here tonight. You or a loved one have received some bad reports from the doctor. Or perhaps you've lost your job. Or perhaps your marriage is breaking up. C.S. Lewis said, God whispers to us in our pleasures and screams to us in our pain. So for some of us that are in chaos, I want to say God's not mad at you. He's not trying to, to get to you to repay you. He's trying to get your attention. He's not paying you back for some sin. He's trying in love to bring you back to himself. No matter whether you're in a season of pleasure or a season of pain, God is drawing each and every one of us closer to himself tonight. And for some of you, tonight is the culmination of that process. So the invitation to come to the major tonight is not random. God is involved and he's involved as Savior and Lord. Lord translated King. In other words, King of our lives. Otherwise, we're the kings or queens of our lives. For there's no moderate response to this news. He's either Lord of all or not Lord of all. Us truly is by Jesus' coming among us in his life, death, and resurrection, 
God conquered every obstacle to our happiness. Sin that separates, passions that enslave us, justice imbalanced around us, even death itself. Turn to Jesus Christ and you become God's son, daughter, forgiven friend, forever loved. And that's good news. You are greatly entitled to rejoice. Let us give ourselves up to joy as we continue to sing glory to God in the highest and on earth among those with whom he is pleased. So would you pray with me to be among those with whom he is pleased by receiving him as both Lord and Savior. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a privilege it is to gather this Christmas Eve and be reminded of this story of your intervention into our lives. For we do need a Savior. And we turn our lives over to you as Savior and Lord, recognizing that there's no moderate response to who you truly are. We can't make you up. We're not allowed to. You're either Lord or not. So we come to you, Lord, and we turn our lives over to you to give you, and you can do whatever you wish, so that we might fully surrender unto you and know the joy that can only come as a follower with you, proclaiming glory to God in the highest. And Lord, we pray that this Christmas will be one of new and continual growth for each and every one of us. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.